Welcome to today's podcast. I'm Scott Knuckles with The Untold Story. Thank you for joining me. I hope today's message will drive you to a greater faith, a more lasting hope, and a deeper love for others and yourself. I'm reminded of the quote by Thomas Edison. He said, Many of life's failures are people who did not realize how close they were to success when they gave up. Let's get started with today's podcast. In 1952, National Prayer Day was enacted in the United States. Harry S. Truman signed that law that set aside one day for Americans to turn to God in prayer and meditation. But that isn't really the first National Prayer Day. The first National Prayer Day was directed by President George Washington. That day is called Thanksgiving. Let's hear in a few words his rationale for creating a day of thanksgiving. He says, Whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and humbly to implore His protection and favor. Now, therefore, I do recommend and assign Thursday, the 26th day of November next, to be devoted by the people of these United States, that we then may all unite unto him our sincere and humble thanks for his kind care and protection, and also that we may then unite in most humbly offering our prayers and supplications to the great Lord and ruler of nations, and beseech him to pardon our national and other transgressions, to promote the knowledge and practice of the true religion and virtue, given under my hand at the city of New York, the 3rd of October in 1789. One has to know that George Washington was wholly devoted to Jesus Christ and saw the value of prayer, daily prayer. He kept a daily diary of his prayers, and I want to read an excerpt from one of his Monday morning prayers. O eternal and everlasting God, I presume to present myself this morning before thine divine majesty, beseeching thee to accept my humble and hearty thanks that it hath pleased thy great goodness to keep and preserve me the night past from all the dangers poor mortals are subject to, and has given me sweet and pleasant sleep whereby I find my body refreshed and comforted for performing the duties of this day, in which I beseech thee to defend me from all perils of body and soul. Direct my thoughts, words, and work. Wash away my sins in the immaculate blood of the Lamb, and purge my heart by the Holy Spirit from the dross of my natural corruption, that I may with more freedom of mind and liberty of will serve thee, the everlasting God, in righteousness and holiness this day and all the days of my life. Increase my faith in the sweet promises of the gospel. Give me repentance from my dead works. Pardon my wanderings and direct my thoughts unto thyself, the God of my salvation. Teach me how to live in thy fear, labor in thy service, and ever to run in the ways of thy commandments 
Make me always watchful over my heart that neither the terrors of conscience, the loathing of holy duties, the love of sin, nor an unwillingness to depart this life may cast me into a spiritual slumber, but daily frame me more and more into the likeness of thy Son, Jesus Christ, that living in thy fear and dying in thy favor, I may in thy appointed time attain the resurrection of the just unto eternal life. Bless my family, friends, and kindred. Unite us all in praising and glorifying thee in all our works begun, continued, and ended, when we shall come to make our last account before thee, blessed Savior, who have taught us thus to pray our Father. The example our God provided as the first President of the United States was a mighty man of God before he was ever a valiant man of war. He battled in prayer before he ever stepped out on the battlefield. He looked unto God to defeat the battle to free a young nation. Prayer was his banner and fellowship with the Father was his nourishment that sustained him and this great country. Another king long ago says, God, create within me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. The king wrote the beloved Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd. That was King David. When I read the words of David and George Washington, you see two men willing to spend time in prayer and reflection to the Father. If they did it, why wouldn't we do it as well? Could it be that our weakness is because we are not near the source of all power? Could it be that our continued struggle is that we do not spend time on our knees in devotion to the Father? What does God require after all? That we would love Him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Did you know that according to Pew Research, out of 102 countries in the world, the United States has the highest daily prayer rate while also enjoying a high degree of wealth per capita? 55% of Americans say they pray every day. In every other wealthy country combined, it's less than 40%. Countries that feature Christians that pray the least? Austria, Germany, Switzerland, Denmark, Estonia, Russia, and the UK. The title of today's podcast is Why Pray at All? Why? I cited Pew Research, but Barna Group also does a lot of research in this area. They did a study in 2017, and the results show that 94% of people pray at least every three months and that most of those prayers are silent and alone. According to the study, do you know what the most common reason is for praying? President George Washington got it right. Gratitude and thanksgiving, followed closely by the needs of family and community, with personal guidance and crises coming in third. But to whom do people pray? 90% say they pray to God. But when you dig deeper, because God can mean many things, 50% say to Jesus, 23% to the Holy Spirit. That's nearly 75% of all prayers reflecting the Christian faith. 
Doesn't it seem strange to you that the God of the universe has time to listen to us, wants us to get to know him better, wants us to pour out our heart, to lay it bare before him? It's all so odd to me, overwhelming to think about. The God of the universe cares about what bothers me. God cares enough to want to listen to me. We have this outlet that no matter what we are going through, from the time we awake and put our feet on the floor in the morning to being tucked in bed at night and reflecting on the day, we can speak to him, have the chance to connect with him. And somehow in the midst of that, he quiets our hearts and calms the raging storms within and helps us find rest. In 2002, I was at my wit's end. Carrie and I had relocated from Dallas-Fort Worth area to New Hampshire. We moved to a new location where we didn't know one person or anything about the area other than a few Google searches. I took on a new job with significant responsibility, spending long hours building a new team. Our family moved in the late summer and couldn't imagine that our first winter in New England would be the worst winter in a hundred years. I kid you not. There was nearly two feet of snow on the ground all winter long, and winters can go deep into April. This winter forced a couple that would typically be outside every day, indoors, in a small apartment for months. To top it all off, we could not sell our home in Dallas-Fort Worth because the housing market was terrible. In our neighborhood, it seemed like one out of every five houses were for sale. I was frustrated on multiple levels. It got so bad that we got kicked out of temporary housing after six months because we had exhausted that portion of the relocation budget. In the winter, we had to find our own apartment, rent furniture, and pay all the cost in New Hampshire, as well as all of our expenses in Texas. A big promotion, but completely broke and depressed. Here I am thinking to myself, you got the job you wanted. The dream job, making more money and barely surviving. Another six months go by and our house still hasn't sold a full one year after moving. One night coming home from a men's meeting, I was so frustrated that I began to scream my prayer to the Lord. You said in your word that you've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging for bread. You said that If we tithe, you would rebuke the devourer off our finances. At the top of my lungs in that car, I must have yelled every verse I could think of. But even though nothing changed that night, something inside of me did. I felt a peace come over me with the feeling that everything was going to be okay. After about a week, an offer came in. Thirteen months after moving, We finally sold our home and could begin looking for a new home to settle in. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You prayed countless times and don't see a way forward. You've argued your case with God and seemed to come out on the losing end over and over again. I was reading a book by R.C. Sproul. In his book, Does Prayer Change Things? He says nothing escapes God's notice. 
Nothing oversteps the boundaries of his power. God is authoritative in all things. He said, if I thought even for one moment that a single molecule was running loose in the universe outside the control and domain of God, I wouldn't sleep tonight. Do you believe that God controls history? Do you? Augustine said that nothing happens in this universe apart from the will of God and that, in a certain sense, God ordains everything that happens. I don't know about you, but after reading this, it raises a big question. Why pray at all? What is the purpose of prayer? Why do I even bother? Isn't everything mapped out anyway? But time and again, the Bible says that prayer is an effective tool. It's useful. It works. So why pray? The number one reason we should pray, God asks us to. The Bible is littered with requests that we pray. In fact, it's not an option for us. Just as air and water, food, touch, and sleep are required to sustain life, so prayer is required in the life of a believer. One scripture that says it all is this, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And there's a verse in Hebrew that's very powerful as well. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Isn't that powerful? The God of the universe wants us to continue to pray without stopping. That means in all situations we are to give it to the Lord whatever we're going through. The second really critical area is that prayer is how we communicate with God. In his word, he says this, I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Prayer is our way of connecting with the Father and staying connected to the vine. In James chapter 5, it says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. But do you know what R.C. Sproul says? The problem is, that we aren't that righteous. He says that prayer most often changes the wickedness and the hardness of our own hearts. I know when I pray, it softens me and it drives me to come with an attitude of repentance and thankfulness. And what about the Lord speaking to King Solomon? He said, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. Prayer promotes humility. Prayer reminds us that we are not in control, but God is, which will keep us from pride and fear. The third key area to remember is that prayer allows us to participate in God's works. Prayer permits us to see God work in this world. In James, it says, you do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, 
you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. See, prayer connects us with others and helps others know the love of Jesus. Prayer clears human obstacles out of the way for God to work. Answered prayer is a potential witness. It can serve as a potential witness for those who doubt. Prayer can succeed where other means have failed. It's amazing to think that God has established prayer as part of his plan for accomplishing his will in this world that we, yes, have a part to play. And the fourth area is that prayer gives us power over evil. Physical strength doesn't really help us overcome obstacles and challenges in the spiritual realm. Did you know that the Bible says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood? It isn't against what we can see, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That, my friends, is a spiritual battle that we're in. I have a friend, Robin Shalek Solomon. She's a prayer warrior called to intercede. And when she agrees to pray, she battles in prayer to see mountains move and lives changed. Things that she can't do in the physical, but through prayer can be done in the supernatural. It may seem strange, but the Bible makes it very clear. There is a spiritual enemy and he must be battled. And that is done through prayer. And finally, prayer is the fuel for our spirit. Just as electricity is needed to power a home, so we need prayer to power our lives. It's the fuel for our spirits. It is the food and nourishment for the soul. Prayer, like everything else in the Christian life, is for God's glory and for our benefit in that order. We pray to glorify God, but we also pray to receive the benefits of prayer from His gracious hand. Prayer is for our benefit even because God knows the end from the beginning. I think you would all agree that no human being has ever had a more profound understanding of divine sovereignty than Jesus. No man has ever prayed more fiercely or more effectively. Can you think of a better example? Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, he requested an option, a different way. When the request was denied, he bowed to the will of the Father. The very reason we pray is because of God's sovereignty, because we believe that God has it within his power to order things according to his purpose. Wouldn't you agree there are times you're praying for things and later on you're so thankful that God did not honor him because he had a greater plan and purpose? You know, the disciples asked Jesus to teach them about prayer. Why? Why did the Lord need to teach them about prayer? Because they had seen Jesus pray consistently. He prayed at his baptism, prayed at the choosing of his disciples. He prayed alone continuously. He took the disciples with him to pray. 
He prayed in the garden, as we talked about. He prayed on the cross. It's clear from scriptures that the disciples were impressed with his prayer life. Would you not agree with me that the disciples clearly saw the inseparable relationship between the power Jesus manifested and the hours he spent in solitude speaking with the Father? Jesus provided a model for prayer. The instruction he gives regarding prayer comes to us from both the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6 and from Luke 11. I want to pull three important stories out of the Sermon on the Mount. The first one is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Please catch this. It blessed my life. It says in verse 9, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. People looked at tax collectors during that day as both traitors and thieves, but Jesus made him a hero. Why? This man's demeanor conveyed his sense of unworthiness and his desire to connect with the Father. He stood some distance away, it says. He was unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven while beating his breast. His prayer was a cry for mercy from a repentant heart. He asked God to be merciful to him. What can we learn from this? God wants authentic humility. If that's what he sees, you can expect him to be favorable. He is not a genie in the bottle that you can rub the right way and get three wishes, or that you can spout off all of your great accomplishments to him. He's looking for authenticity, our true selves being brought before him in humility. That was number one. Number two, Luke chapter 11, verse five. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Do not bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, Yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. What does this parable concern? Persistence. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. In contrast with the man who did not want to be bothered, God, on the other hand, wants his people to pray. 
We don't have to beg him. We just have to come to him. Authenticity and humility with a level of persistence and belief. Jesus wants us and encourages us to be persistent in our prayers. Not to change God's mind, but to be steadfast in praying and to bring our needs to him. Let's continue with number three, Luke 11, 9-13. Ask, seek, and knock. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Isn't that powerful? Our Father gives us what is good for us, not what harms us. He is encouraging us to ask. In this example, he talks about the power of the Holy Spirit, who's also defined as the comforter, the teacher, and so much more. Natural fathers give good gifts to their children. If that's the case, how much more will our Heavenly Father give us what is needed? We have to exercise our faith and believe that He can do it. Remember, authentic humility, a level of persistence, and we've got to ask and believe that when we knock on that door, it is going to be opened. When we ask, it will be received. And when we seek, we will ultimately find. So what are we doing wrong? What could be happening? Let me ask you something. After a full day, what do you do? I know for me, I like to veg out and relax. What did we see Jesus do? Jesus models what it means to be close to the Father. He ministers all day and then what? He leaves. You hear the Bible talk about a solitary place. He is faced with obstacles and opportunities all day. But because he prayed, he is prepared. And when he gets a moment, he withdraws and gets alone with the Father. Why do we bother praying? Because it puts us in relationship with our Father. Because it will move the hand of God in our situation because it will encourage others to pray and believe, because it communicates that we take our needs to the highest place to solve unsolvable problems, because we are asked to do it, because we know that Jesus modeled it for us. We pray because ultimately we believe. We believe there's no mountain too big that our God can't move There's no obstacle too great that God can't handle. There is no wound so deep that he can't reach down and heal it. There is no problem that is too difficult for him to solve. He says, I make the impossible possible. I make all grace abound to my children. I am the father who gives good gifts to his children. I am the great deliverer, savior, healer, and provider for my people. 
That's what God says. So what is our response? It's to press in when we don't feel like it, to stay consistent in prayer and supplication with our request before him. It's to have a belief that he'll provide even if he doesn't. We still choose to trust in his plan. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, In all your ways acknowledge me, and I will direct your path. The Bible says, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens that door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. There's a verse that I've quoted twice already. It's for a reason, because I want to expound on it. It's James 5, 16. If you get a chance, look this up. It's short, but powerful. It says the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. What does that mean? Let's take the word fervent. You know what that means? To be active, to be mighty in, to be at work, to put forth power, meaning we put our effort and our energy in prayer. And what does righteous mean? Virtuous, keeping the commands, innocent, faultless, guiltless, wholly conformed to the will of God. Thank you that Jesus paid the ultimate price for us, that he is our righteousness. How did Jesus demonstrate fervency? His prayer, remember, was what? Sweat as drops of blood. How did Jacob show fervency? He wrestled all night for that blessing, did he not? Prayer is an exercise of passion, not indifference. How did the widow with the unjust judge show fervency? The woman became a pest. The Bible is filled with the saying, how much more? We don't have to be a pest, but we come to God believing who he is, recognizing what Jesus did for us, and we enter into that relationship, and we have an amazing conversation with him. So let's end where we began. President George Washington, and what did we learn from our first president about prayer? To pray humbly, to pray gratefully, to pray repentantly, to pray specifically, and to pray hopefully. I shared the story about our house and how it wouldn't sell. I shared that we were struggling financially, mentally, with being shut in for months, and geographically, living in a new location and adjusting to everything new. We asked ourselves, had we made a mistake? In our hearts, we knew we hadn't. No matter how much we wanted to go back to Texas, we knew we weren't supposed to. After some time reflecting on the journey, we began to see God's hand in everything. We began to understand why our home didn't sell. There was a God-designed plan. And I can give three key reasons. Number one is we made lifelong friends with Paul and Jenny Lamberti, who graciously opened up their home to the Knuckles family in the dead of winter with little money. We met some of our closest friends that also were fighting through difficulty at the same time. 
Bill and Jennifer Henry. Instead of bringing each other down, it helped us as together we lifted each other up through our trials and created a bond that has stood the test of trials, several moves and years. And our real estate agent, who was an atheist, Simone Duhamel, came to know Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. That relationship transformed her life through many difficult trials. She is still remarkably close to our family to this day. Why does God do what He does? Sometimes we're not blessed to know, but we should know that He has a plan and that our prayers are not in vain. They are not wasted on the ash heap of broken dreams and promises. We come knowing that His ways are higher than our ways, and His plan is greater than ours. In our weakness, He is strong. In our weakness, He makes us strong. Let's continue to fight the battle on our knees, to pray without ceasing, and ever mindful that the God of the universe wants a relationship with you and me, a continual relationship with you and me. When was the last time you got down on your knees and cried out to the Father, the Father that's waiting, waiting for you and me, longing to hear from you? longing to hear from all of us, and longing for us to hear from Him. We serve an action-oriented God that wants total devotion to Him. Let's not disappoint. Let's press in. Why pray? Why pray at all? How can we not pray? I want to close by reading the words of a song by Cody Carnes, entitled, Nothing Else. It says, I'm sorry when I've just gone through the motions. I'm sorry when I've just sang another song. I'm sorry when I've come with my agenda. I'm sorry when I forgot that you're enough. Take me back to where we started. I open up my heart to you. I'm caught up in your presence. I just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy moment. And I never want to leave. I'm not here for blessings. Jesus, you don't owe me anything. And more than anything that you can do, I just want you. I just want you. Nothing else. Nothing else will do. You're all that matters, Jesus. You're all that matters. I'm coming back to what really matters. Just to your heart. I just want to bless your heart, Jesus, and I never want to leave. In everything we can do, we can read our Bible, we can sing songs. It is prayer that's the fuel that will drive our lives and activate the very Word of God that's in our hearts. God bless you. I hope you've enjoyed listening to today's podcast. Would you take a moment and provide a rating, subscribe, and consider sharing this message of encouragement with others? You can also visit us on scottknuckles.com to get more information. Until next time, blessings.